Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you as I always am. Today, we've got a great guest for you, and I'm very thankful for just the connections that I have in this industry that are always you know, bringing great individuals, great thought leaders in the design industry space into my uh, atmosphere, if you will. And uh, this individual is certainly no exception. Um, Today, I'm joined by Roger Krulak. And Roger is the CEO of Full Stack Modular based in uh, the Brooklyn, New York. And with offices, he has, well, well, I'll let him talk about where his other offices are. But regardless, Really excited to have a conversation today with Roger about all the great things that they're doing at Full Stack Modular. I think this this is one of those episodes that I really want to encourage all of you design professionals that are listening in and wondering if there is a place for modular buildings beyond just a single family residence. This is the episode that you need to dig deep in and and hear what Roger has to say and hear about the work that he's doing. And uh, oh, by the way. A majority of what he's doing is happening right here in the United States of America. So I think that's really important. But without further ado, I want to welcome Roger Krulak, the CEO of Full Stack Modular, to the Zweig Letter Podcast. Roger, how are you doing today? Pretty good, Randy. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me on the show today. I'm super excited to speak with you about it. Absolutely. So listen, Roger, as everybody is familiar with here on the podcast, we would love for you to share your superhero origin story, if you will, how you got involved in the design industry and ultimately came to to start working with Full Stack Modular and just, you know, what brings you here today? So my friends don't call me uh, superhero powers. They call me the modular OG, which I'm starting to get <laughs> fond of. I didn't uh, originally. But, um, you know, I grew up in the construction and development industry. My great grandfather, uh, who I actually never met, was a carpenter born in Detroit, and I've been involved in construction and development most of my life. And 
anybody who knows me will tell you that one of the things that frustrates me more than anything is wasting time, wasting material, wasting process, standing in line. It is the bane of my existence. And so, so uh, in the process of building, developing, constructing, you know, very complicated projects, data centers, steel plants, and multifamily, I became very focused on finding a solution. And I moved in in early 2000 to New York, coming from the Midwest. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally. And uh, the lack of efficiency here was even worse than it was in Ohio. Construction goes pretty regularly in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. But in New York, it's very, very volatile. Pricing is very volatile. Timing is very volatile. And we were charged with building a very large project in Brooklyn, New York, which is centered by the, the Brooklyn Arena. And in that project, uh, we were charged with 6,500 affordable units. It became very evident that conventional construction wasn't going to really fit the bill. A little bit of prescient of, of the of the state we're in now and that we've been in for years. And so, uh, so I was charged in 2007 with coming up with a way to build efficiently mid to high rise modular buildings. And that's where full stack started. Uh, yeah. We started it within four city as a R and D project. And, uh, we built the, you know, the design for the tallest modular building in the world, which we finished right here at our factory in Brooklyn. Uh, it is now not any longer, which is exciting to me, the tallest modular building in the world, but it right now is the tallest modular building in the United States which is 33 stories. And we created a system that is focused on, on efficiency of process. Yeah. Well, Lord knows we need it, right? I mean, you, when you couple, <laughs> when you couple the, the lack of, and I said this wasn't going to be a conversation about single family residential homes, but we know how 2008 and the financial meltdown set us back when it came to building single family homes around the country. We're still feeling the pains of that to this day. But then when you couple that with the fact that other buildings need to be built and how do you do those in, in a manner that affords you the ability to build quickly, efficiently and effectively all in one component, it's not necessarily easy. And then, of course, you add to it just the very nature of building in different parts of the country, different building codes. There's a lot of factors that come into play. And I can only imagine that. Based on the work that you guys are doing at Full Stack Modular, you've basically come up with a system that allows you to plug and play in a lot of different markets and environments, the buildings that you guys have created in your lab, if you will. Is that safe yeah. to say? Well, it's safe to say that we have a system that we think is very comprehensive and we have proven over the last four to five years that it is, as you say, it's adaptable to many regions and the forces that are, you know, that, that are the major forces in those regions, whether that be seismic, whether that be wind, whether that be storm, the system that we've created holds up quite nicely with very minor modifications. And to us, that's super exciting. We didn't know that when we just stood to prove in a non-seismic zone where wind and snow are the, are the major forces, that it was going to be that transportable, but it has proven to be so. And that's very exciting for us. Yeah, well, I can certainly imagine. So you guys are currently based in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And I, as I mentioned before, you, you recently just opened up an office on the West Coast, and that would be in, in Portland, Oregon? 
Yeah, so we have our second factory, factory actually, in Portland, Oregon. We co-located with one of our steel manufacturers uh, right on Swan Island in Portland, Oregon. And we are, we are going to be building one of our sort of current exciting projects right out of there in the turn of the new year. Yeah, and that project is actually a Starwood brand hotel called, it's a treehouse hotel. It's a sustainable hotel concept. Is I'm assuming this is going to be the first of many. Is that the case? That is our, our hope, and that is uh, certainly Starwood Capital's intention. They, they built one other treehouse brand, which is part of the one hotel brand of uh, Starwood Capital Group. And uh, after extensive research, they chose Full Stack, and we've come up with a system to build their hotels. Obviously, the first one happens to be Seismic, which we, we find pretty exciting, or seismically responsive, I should say. So, yeah, I mean, our hope is is that we collectively and together build a bunch of these all over the United States, which is, you know, and it's pretty, you know, it's going to be fun. It, it does, it's reminiscent of living in a treehouse and it has a lot of, a lot of wood and a lot of uh, fun, you know, comfortable, cozy place to, to stay. So. Yeah. You know, well, I have some other questions I'm going to ask you, but first I want to kind of get in just so that we can lay the groundwork for people to have a better understanding. Can you kind of walk us through Full Stack's approach, unique approach to modular construction and why you think that more and more entities are going to gravitate towards this approach versus the traditional construction method approach of building, you know, mid to larger multifamily residences, et cetera. I'd love for you to talk about that. And I'm really, I'm personally interested just for the simple fact that right in my backyard of Northwest Arkansas, where we are, there is a lot of placemaking going on from an urban planning perspective. And it's really important for them to get this right when it comes to building the type of residential units that are needed in order for companies like Walmart and J.B. Hunt and Tyson to continue to grow because you got to have a place to put people once you hire them. And so and, and this is an issue that, you know, is an issue across the country. But I'd be curious. I'd, I'd love for you just to kind of give us an overarching view of just your process and what sets this modular process apart from the traditional construction methods that we're used to. Yeah. So thanks for the question. I, I think you know, good friend of mine, a professor of sustainability in Boulder, will tell you that in his view, the most effect that we as human beings can have on the world from a sustainability perspective is to build a dense urban buildings that are transit oriented, have access to healthy food, and are healthy, responsive buildings. And, you know, single source electrification tight, healthy buildings, quality air, and obviously diminishing carbon footprint by making transit-oriented development available and shopping available. So if you think about that environment in the world, the way that we currently build is relatively antithetical to that. It's disintegrated. It is organized in a way that has, in my mind, devolved from even when I was a kid, which is that the process by which we design buildings has been basically outsourced uh, to all of the trades that end up working in them, even though we have you know, sort of very high quality architecture and we have incredibly competent engineers, the way that the buildings actually get built 
is a design bid build process which creates adversity to all the players. It's a uh, you know if you looked at this in a business case at a business school for any other industry, everybody would roll their heads and put their hand onto their forehead. So we have a lot of work to do in this industry. It's thirteen and a half percent of the world economy, and just like you said. The, the world is expanding, the population is expanding, the need for housing is growing, and we're not even close to catching up to where we were, let alone where we are. So Full Stack has spent you know, the last 15 years trying to create a solution that is efficient. It's efficient on many levels. It is efficient in the way that it's organized. So we've taken the construction process and organized it into a manufacturing process where the most efficient way of organizing the elements that go into the building, which we call assemblies and subassemblies, happens as quickly and as rapidly as possible in controlled environments. We try very hard when we get involved on the design side to, to minimize the variety, but also make it flexible enough that it can meet the market needs. So that is complicated. And as a result of that, we've created systems that allow that to happen. So we have we have a structural, mechanical, and electrical, and a plumbing system in all of our buildings that is fully distributed and is bolt together like an erector set. All the pieces and parts are manufactured in the factory and sent out for assembly only on site. And that has been our focus because I also came from the development world from the very beginning. At the same time, you still have an industry that is just getting comfortable with the idea. So it's moving uh, a little less expeditiously than you'd like, but it's happening everywhere now. The industry is growing all over the world. Why is it? Because other countries are doing modular building, right? I mean, and maybe doing a lot more, you know, when I think of, and I, I don't know if the, the hospitals that China built were building like in six and seven day clips were more modular construction during the pandemic at the height of the pandemic. Cause I remember watching the videos of those things going up in like record time. And that was super, that was simply amazing to see, but why is it that we've had a, that it's been really hard for us here in the United States to embrace this technology, if you will, and just this style of building as opposed to kind of like the bricks and mortar stuff that we've been used to since time began. So I think uh, just to coin a very old phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. So the reality is that a lot of the places that have been focused on creating a modular industry are countries like, for instance, Singapore, who have literally no skilled labor in Singapore. So when they and they have, you know, it's a huge growth country, very wealthy, but they really couldn't effectively they really don't have any way of building effectively. And as a result of that, they hired people from all over the country, all over the world and had and decided to create an industry, but they control all the land. So there's a huge advantage to requiring things when you get to make those, you know, when you get to make those demands. Other places like Scandinavia, who have a three month building uh, window in a year, building on site doesn't really make a lot of sense or you're never going to get anything built. So a lot of times that's that's what happens. And so in the US, huge part of our economy, lots of stakeholders, you know, local authorities, regulation, 
government authorities, local and uh, countrywide, huge companies that uh, have built their business and industry around a very specific process in which to create things. And big ships don't turn fast. So that's really what's happening. But they're turning because, you know what, we're so behind. I mean, the need for affordable housing grows on the hour. And I'm not talking about just strictly like all attainable housing, places where people can afford to live. That's not available. So, yeah, we got to fix the problem. And And I do think that at this point, building, you know, volumetric modular buildings or panelized buildings or panelized houses is one tool in a toolbox of solutions that we can employ in order to try to make a dent in the need. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm wondering, I mean, obviously, I guess my, my simple question is why, why haven't the, the big construction firms pivoted into this space more readily? Right. You know, and, and, and I can think of, you know, some big names to mention, but I'm not going to mention any names. I just think it's just, it's interesting to see that, you know, this technology that we've known about for a long time, right? This is not like a new thing. I remember when I got involved in real estate back in the in New England in the early 2000s, and they kept talking about modular homes and modular construction. And for a short period of time, you, you know, from start to finish, you could pick out your walls, you could do all this stuff and have a house up in no time. And I knew some people that were able to take advantage of that, that had the, the cash to do it and all this other stuff. But you know, it, it just seems like it's it's an easier process than going through what we typically go through on a regular basis. What do you think for the large construction firms out there, what do you think is the number one reason why they don't want to embrace this technology? Actually, I don't want to put the blame on them entirely. And I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the day, those decisions are made by the developers. Now, those big GCs that are doing their own development, those people I can complain about because they really do have the control. And there are there are those out there too. But I can tell you, I can't think of one large general contractor in the United States that I haven't had very serious conversations about, you know, volumetric modular solutions for some of the things they're working on. So they're getting there. But at the end of the day, the dollar, the wherever the money's coming from, you know, is where those answers are going to come from. So if, if their developer says, give me this solution, I want it, they're in. And they yeah. all have either a group or an expert within their, so, so they, and this was not the case four years ago, but right now they all have somebody in, at least somebody, if not a whole division that's focused on utilization of these kinds of things. Yeah. So it's just a matter of time, really, is what you're telling me. So, and, and I get, I, I'm, yeah. And I'm glad you made the distinction about developers, right? Because a lot of times we just lump developers in with the construction folks and that's not always the case. So I think it's important to remember that. A lot of times you're basically being told what to do and you either decide that you're going to cash that check and do it or not. And so that's kind of the way things are. Exactly. But, you know, and and, and to be fair, you know, the whole, I mean, stepping out of modular for a second, the idea that the industry sort of needs to move in a into a design-build mind frame from design-bid-build, which we've been doing for a hundred years at least. I don't I think it's as much as I can remember. I mean, I'm not a hundred yeah. years old, but I know that it's been going on that long. 
that shift yeah. is part of the movement to solutions, right? And I, you know, I, I go to a lot of seminars, I speak to a lot of people, and I am hearing, even in the public sector, big movement towards a design build solution. And frankly, it's very hard to build modularly if you don't design build it. If you don't use the product in order to create the the built environment, it's very hard to implement. Yeah. So are you, and I know that you spend some time at some of the top universities lecturing like Yale, Harvard, and MIT. Is it part of your hope that you will catch the attention of the next generation of folks and get them to be early adopters to this technology? Yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, I'm working a little bit on a, on a very large project in the Midwest. And the reason that I'm working on the project is one of the classes I taught at Harvard GSD. And so if just to give you, it's proof, you have to have those conversations. And sometimes they're not easy conversations because you're asking people to, well, if you're an architect, I'm asking you as a product creator, as a system user, I'm asking you to share your agency with our product. And that's that's an ask. And you have to be willing to do it. And if you're not, you shouldn't try. I mean, so usually when I teach those classes, I'm like, you know, 15, 20% of you is not interested in what I'm doing. But frankly, if you want to build multifamily housing, like modular doesn't add that many parameters. They're almost all there to begin with, right? You have to have egress and windows and bathrooms. And like, you know, I'm not asking you for that much more. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, they're, they're obviously, there are young people, very smart people that are listening to this and that are probably being impacted. And they're thinking about what is next for the future. Because that's one of the things that I say about design professionals as a whole. They are very thoughtful about the built environment, right? I mean, they, it's not like they sit around just like, oh, I'm just going to check this box off and do this. I mean, they, you know, they're, it's a form of art, if you will. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I love architecture and I actually love working with most architects. I mean, I love the idea that I want them to be interested in the way that the building lives to the people that are occupying it, to the occupants, and also the way that it exists in the environment in which you place it. And to me, that's the beauty of architecture. But what we really don't need them to do is to tell us how bathrooms should go together and what the kind of best surfaces to make efficient or how you know to organize distribution of plumbing systems. Like Those things are things that can be wildly more efficient and still have the same experience that they're hoping to do. And that's, that's the match made in heaven. You know, when you run into architects like that, that's when it's fantastic. It's quite rewarding. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's also important. I mean, you mentioned it before, multifamily buildings, hotels, you just mentioned earlier, student housing and urban environments, right? And then, you know, you, you think about all of these schools that just have a lack of housing for their students. It's a huge issue. Almost it's it's every an one issue. Of them. Every one of them. I mean, it's it's an issue right here at, at I'm in the backyard of the University of Arkansas here and based in Fayetteville and, you know, 30,000 plus students and I think they had an, a graduate they had a freshman class of almost 9,000 entering the school and they were short about almost 2,500 room residence rooms, which is crazy. I mean, that's but that's just that's the norm. I'm not picking on the University of Arkansas. I'm just saying that's the oh. norm across the country. And you have this whole shift in education that is also driving housing need. Like there's in California, for instance, they have all the community colleges are now often feeder groups for a lot, you know, so full four-year, full four-year degrees. 
So it used to be that community college was a particular path, but now it's a step. And so as a result of that, those people want to stay there. And so now they need, they're now for the first time building dormitories. And that's just not in California. So there is, and I have a, my wife's cousin is a professor up at Dartmouth. Like the professors can't even get housing up, up there. So, so <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's a problem. We have no lack. If you want to talk about a business case, no lack of need across the board in the United States and in most parts of the world, frankly. Yeah. yeah. I was just in KSA. I was just in Saudi Arabia. I mean, they've got tons of housing problems. And anywhere you go, everybody's got a problem. There's like no place to put people. And 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 that's basic need. <laughs> it's a basic need. Yeah. And we're not addressing it. And we're a pretty wealthy, you know, we're, we're a wealthy country. We're a pretty wealthy world. And just no excuse. Yep. Yeah, it's two issues that come up over and over again, housing and food. <laughs> you just, I mean, that these are the two issues that we have to, you know, we need a place to stay. We need to be able to eat food in the process. So, I mean, like, they're just on, the necessary for survival. Like, the cavemen knew that. <laughs> like, this is not right. new. This is not new. The cavemen <laughs> needed a cave and their husband went out hunting, hunter-gatherers. Like, you know, this is like, what was the book? Sapien was, I think it was the book Sapiens. Sapiens. Yeah, yeah, Sapiens. Sapiens. Fantastic book if you ever read it, but like, come on, like, this is just part of our existence. Like, yeah, we need yeah. a place to stay and we need something right. to eat. I mean, at the very basic, at the very basic, basic level. So, yeah. So, you know, as I think about this, and, and I know I work with a lot of design firms that are really big on, you know, net zero projects and lead buildings. And I would imagine that that the ability to maintain so much control of the design and build process of a modular structure that you could easily implement into that a very environmentally friendly, environmentally conscious building structure. Is that fairly accurate? Absolutely accurate. I mean, you know, we're an all steel solution, so we don't use any concrete. We do reshape our steel. We don't, I mean, almost all steel is recycled at this point, but we we don't reshape. We don't. We just reshape our steel. So we. So our carbon footprint's pretty low. And the interesting thing about a modular, certainly volumetric solution is we purchase everything. So we can. There's traceability on everything we put into the factory. I don't actually. There's certain things that bother me. Like the zero carbon footprint bothers me a little bit because like it's basically impossible to live on this earth and be zero carbon footprint. At the same time, decreasing our carbon footprint is is the charge of the day, right? And modular buildings are tight. We have almost no waste that goes into the production of our mods. We can certainly source locally for the most part, although in the last year, it's sort of hard to say where you can source from, you know, all electric. I mean, you know, modular favors all electrification, but if you're going to be responsive on a more global basis, you know, all single source power for everything allows in diversity of load significantly less sort of drain on energy resources. And like I said earlier, which we talked about, you know, having food available in a multifamily building and transit oriented, you now are creating an incredibly, you know, obviously in integrating low voltage measuring and renewable energy is, is pretty easy and matter of course for what we do. So it doesn't, you know, as long as we know about it ahead of time, pretty easy to do solar panels, pretty easy to do even wind collection. And anything else you'd like, because we're building it in a factory and organizing it in a way that allows those things to be integrated without almost any 
additional cost and you know designed passive buildings and living building challenge and you name it it's pretty easy to it's pretty easy to do that with what we do yeah and i mean just to give people kind of an understanding when you look at like some of the mid to high level high rises from a modular perspective you don't leave any stone unturned that includes everything facades hallways elevator shafts stairwells all finishes for units shear walls, all included in the full stack modular system. I would imagine that when you think of it from that perspective, if I had to compare your 33-story building to another that would be built from the ground up by just the normal construction process, I could get your building up in a shorter period of time. Is that fairly accurate? From a design-build perspective, you're probably somewhere between 50 and 60% of the time. But in addition to that, think about no scaffolding required. The amount of workers on site is less than 30% of a conventional building. The deliveries, once you've put in a foundation, is 70% less. So if you're talking about neighborhood disruption or the amount of time you said in your backyard, you know, you just stack up the mods, the, the facades are on them, and the workers are all inside. The noise goes away quite quickly. So it has, it has all of the noise pollution, physical pollution and waste sustainability, all of that is part of what we do. Yeah. And I mean, I got some stats from your team that they share with me, which I, you know, I kind of, it makes sense, but you know, 70% safer working conditions, up to 50% faster development, which we just said, 80% greater time and cost certainty, and then 70% less neighborhood disruption. And like you said, no scaffolding, that's a big deal, right? Especially in places like New York City and other big cities where, you know, you've get, you get people that, you know, don't want you building on their street because it's just going to really impact them. But you're basically saying, no, this is, this is only going to impact you maybe 30% of the time versus, you know, us being able to pull these buildings up pretty quickly and, and just go in, inside and go to work on them. Yeah, it does. It does decrease the impact locally significantly. And if you've ever lived next to a construction site, if that can end up being half the time and not needing a lot of the a lot of the pounding and you know, even though I've been in construction my whole life, but it's still hard at six thirty in the morning on Saturday to have to listen to a jackhammer. So it does help if you can eliminate that need. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So would you say, I mean, are you feeling bullish, Roger, about the adoption of modular buildings here in the United States? At this point, I mean, you've been out there beating the bushes for a while now. I've I've seen several videos, which we will link to in our show notes, of you out there with your hard hat on. Just, I mean, you you are the the preacher on this, and and as you said, the OG of modular. But somebody has to lead the charge. And so, I mean, are you bullish for the future when it comes to to modular building? I am. I am very bullish on it. Even more so, sort of on an hourly basis, as new people enter the space, as as larger and larger companies try to find a modular solution for large rollouts. We're working with one customer who's going to build 10 student housing projects using the same basic unit design. So you're seeing really smart people understanding that there's a value proposition here. And and usually once once a couple of pioneers, and there are many of them right now, a couple of... There's even developers who started their own modular businesses, and they're building a lot of buildings right now. So I am very bullish on it. I think it is 
it is the appropriate it is an appropriate solution for the colossal lack of performance that we as a we as an industry and as a culture have have managed to create and and to me you know you should be using anything you can in order to accomplish housing people it's almost makes me smile because I'm so uncomfortable saying that we're not focused on that. It's hard. You know, there's lots of conversation, but come on, this is not hard stuff. It's like, oh, should we, you know, you could argue about whether you need five pairs of tennis shoes or, you know, like it's like, or two dishwashers. Like, do you want to, do people deserve a place to live that's comfortable and they can raise their families and be healthy? That should be a no brainer. And then when you add to that, everything that you've, we've been talking about and just the concept or idea that virtually everything is made in the USA. How are you able to accomplish that? Is it just how everything, you're sourcing yeah. all the materials? We source materials depending on the product from a number of places, but the work is done here in the United States. So yeah. we are signatories with the building trades here in New York, and we are part of a um, feeder program for the trades. We teach people how to do modular construction. So it is. U.S.-based solution, and, and we're actually about to start exporting, which we're super excited about. I never thought that would happen, but actually we're headed in that direction, which I'm super excited about. But yeah, I mean, we are, you know, we are a U.S.-focused business model. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, I think anybody that's listening to this that's involved in this space needs to needs to think long and hard about what Roger is discussing and you know, do your due diligence into full stack modular to learn a little bit more about them and, and to see some of the benefits that you could take part in by virtue of, of how this whole project works. And so I'm going to be interested to see some of the projects that you guys are doing, especially with this Starwood Treehouse Hotel and that whole sustainable hotel concept. I think that's going to be really interesting. You know, so it, I mean, to me, the future looks bright. You've got to be excited about where things are headed. And, you know, you seem to be at the forefront of this whole modular movement, especially as it pertains to the bigger size buildings that hold sway with businesses that need a variety of buildings for a variety of purposes. Yeah. You know, we are definitely capable of many things, but mid to high rise focus urban environment is really where our, where we cut our teeth and where we, where we focus most of our energy. Yeah. No, I love that. So Roger, if anybody listening to this wants to reach out to you or, or what's the best way for them to connect with you? So website, www.fullstackmodular.com. There is a get in touch page. Feel free to, to learn a little bit about our process and you can even design your own building on there real time, do some virtual walkthroughs after you've built it. So that's the easiest way. And if you send an email, somebody will definitely get back to you. And that's probably I the love easiest that. way. Yeah, I think we will definitely do that. And we'll put that information in the show notes so that uh, they know how to connect with you. And we probably need to get you to write an article in Civil Plus Structural Magazine, because I think there's, a, there's quite a few people that could really benefit from your knowledge and skill set, and especially some of the things that you're passionate about and that you're moving forward with, with this whole full stack modular. So I'm going to work on making that happen. But in the meantime, people will be able to at least enjoy this podcast episode learn a little bit more about you, learn a little bit more about Full Stack Modular and really what the future holds because there are some, there's some real unique opportunities. I'm excited about the opportunities that exist on the residential side of things, but certainly mixed use and other asp- applications that can be tied to a modular type building, 
I think it's huge. It's really uh, going to be a game changer. Super exciting. I really appreciate the enthusiasm, Randy. It's needed, but uh, also I think on the uptake. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, you got to sometimes beat that drum long and hard for a while. And so I certainly appreciate you doing that. Not everybody can be you know, out in front of the curve, if you will. And certainly not that we're suggesting that full stack modular or building modular buildings is more of a field of dreams thing. It's just practical. And as more and more people are willing to adopt uh, this style of building and the fact that this is a safe way to build something that's sustainable for the long term and makes it easier and it's easily replicatable throughout the world. I think as more and more people understand that, you're going to get folks that are going to sign on and you know they'll be looking to you, Roger, as the early adopter, as that individual that was kind of like the, the Pied Piper leading everybody to a building revolution as it pertains to modular buildings. So thank you very much for joining us on this Wide Letter podcast today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Randy, for the conversation. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. To learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry, please visit zweiggroup.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more information about Zweig Group's advisory services, or any of Zweig Group's publications, including Civil Plus Structural magazine that we talked about today, please visit zweiggroup.com. You can subscribe to the Zweig Letter podcast wherever you listen to it, and please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you back here soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to The Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.